0: engine baby built on top and it's a out of human skull
3: Come on, take a little walk with me, baby and tell me, who do you love?
4: I'm pushing my love Seems like my love wanna change Welcome to the All Things
2: Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now,
1: your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. We are on Pantheon Podcast, where you can go to find your most preferred uh, genre of music podcast. So, Head over to Pantheon now, and uh, you'll find something that you like. Uh, With me always is Jason. Jason. Um, I think Jason got abducted by aliens. He's probably on the mothership now or he may have uh, ran off to the Chicken Sand Ministry cult with Brother Tony Higby from Tom Kiefer's band. But, you know, maybe he'll pop up and return again sometime here soon. So I'm flying solo this evening. Um, So you got to bear with me, and uh, hopefully you guys will keep listening to a show that Jason's not here for in the intro. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about, uh, give a big congratulations to our brothers, David and Ian from the State of Amorica podcast, who recently, they celebrated their 100th episode, and uh, their guest was Charlie Starr, our buddy from Blackberry Smoke. I listened to it. You guys should go listen to it, too. It's just a, a really great chat, as it always is with Charlie. Uh, I got a uh, update here. Uh, news: Robert John and the Wreck tour. Uh, they're ending their 2024 winter tour in the Southern U.S. Uh, Wednesday, uh, February 28th, Atlanta, Georgia, Smith's Old Bar. Thursday, the 29th, Asheville, North Carolina, at the Salvage Station. Friday, March 1st, at Chattanooga, Tennessee, at Songbirds. Saturday, March 2nd, at Maryville, Tennessee, at the Shed and sunday march 3rd nashville tennessee city winery speaking of the shed uh, my wife and i will be heading there in may to see all three blackberry smoke shows and before that march 15th um, in medina medina event center i believe it is uh, we're going to see blackberry smoke and them dirty roses will be opening so that's going to be absolutely epic so we're going to jump right into our guest we have robert Connolly farr he is a mississippi hill country blues player he is uh currently residing in vancouver but he is from mississippi uh it was such a thrill to talk to someone in that style of music again um that style of blues it's been a while i think lightning malcolm was the last guy that we uh talked to very early on in the podcast uh about this this kind of this kind of uh, uh blues so uh it was very interesting to talk to robert um about how he got into it and his respect for some of those players and 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 his description of that music and how he goes about doing it so i'm gonna quit uh talking here and uh you guys kick back relax and listen to our conversation with robert Connolly Farr. Here at the guest segment of the podcast, and Jason is going to introduce the guest to you guys.
2: And as you know, I'm always excited to introduce the guests, particularly when we have a Mississippi-born, Auburn-trained, or Auburn-schooled architect who now lives in Canada that does blues music. So, <laughs> I hope I got all that right, Robert. Today with us, we've got Robert Conley Farr. How you doing, man?
0: Doing good, doing good. How y'all doing?
1: We're good. We're real good. How's everything in Vancouver?
2: Oh, man, it's gray and it's wet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar.
2: Yeah, yeah. You haven't picked up on a Canadian accent. Well, of course, Vancouver doesn't really have much of an accent out there. The West, West Canada doesn't.
1: Not one I
0: could tell. I mean, I can hear accents, you know, like if I head back towards Alberta or, I, you know, I hear it every once in a while up here. What What I really hear up here is when I hear a Southern accent, I'm like, hey, <laughs>
2: my friend who are you where are you from
0: where's the catfish
1: how'd you end up in Vancouver from Mississippi
0: oh man it's uh I some people I tell I that I I just I went west to LA and I took a right and I went as far as I could go uh I, I had uh finished uh I did some nonprofit work uh out at Auburn University's rural studio um after I graduated and uh when finished up that project, the animal shelter uh, out in Hale County, Alabama. Uh, I'm, I came to see a buddy of mine up at uh, uh, who was finishing a degree at University of Washington and um, stayed up there for a few weeks. And uh, while I was up there, I just took a road trip up here and just to pick up some Cuban cigars, man. <laughs> like, and I was like, I didn't know there's a fucking city up here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and they one. I mean, I, I mean, you could go to the beach, you could go to the mountains. I mean, I, I'd never been anywhere like this before. And I mean, it just, it, it was like a gut punch the minute I stepped foot in the city and I knew this is where I wanted
1: to be. Right on, right on. How did you, uh, you're uh, like a Mississippi blues artist, hill country blues artist, but how, how'd you get to start in, in playing music?
0: Uh, well, My mom bought me a guitar when I was, I think I was 15 or 16. It was right around the time Nirvana's Nevermind came out because I remember learning like the riff for Smells Like Teen Spirit on this electric guitar. And then that was about it. I put it down. I didn't touch it for another few years until I was forced to, I needed some credits in college and I was 19 I audited a classical guitar class and um i started learning how to play you know barpeggio style with my fingers on an acoustic guitar and um there was a fella that lived in raymond mississippi uh ironically it's, it's where uh, kansas joe mccoy's from who wrote when the levy breaks with memphis mini that then led zeppelin turned into a big hit right but uh in that little town of raymond uh there was a I guess you could call him a mentor of sorts, um, but I, I was kind of struggling, you know, with alcohol and drinking and whatnot, you know, like kind of younger, younger college kids do. And this fella, he kind of taking me under his wing, tried to be a good mentor. And he heard I was taking this class and he handed me the Neil Young tablature book and a decade album. And I, that was it. I was off to the races. I learned every song on that. I learned every song on that album um and neil young uh actually stole my heart i mean and his little riff with uh leonard skinner you know i thought that was really cool you know like um and i mean i could still you play one song on on decade i could tell you what comes next i mean that's that album's just incredible
1: how, how, how did that then you know phase into you know the kind of music you're playing now
0: well, you know, I I just started learning all different kinds of stuff. I mean, like anything that I got into, um, I, I left school there and I went to, uh, you know what, let me just do this cat. <laughs>
4: He's
0: not going to shut up. Hold on a second.
2: <laughs> we are a pet friendly podcast. Our Brian and my animals will make noise and our <laughs> guest animals are always welcome to make a noise.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I got, I got one cool. I got two uh Devin Rex cats, one's called Patterson and one's called Cooley. I'll buy the first one of you a beer if you name the two leads <laughs> drop by truckers. <laughs> but uh, what, what a, they're great cats, but one of them is very vocal. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I had um, I started you know just learning songs and covering songs by people that I really dug at the time, you know, like. Learning the dead, um, you know, learning it, it, just anything that I anything that I liked, and I was into all different kinds of music: country, uh, rock and roll, indie. Never, never, never. While I was living in Mississippi, was I into the blues? Exposed to it, knew fu- like I didn't know shit about. Really, never. How was that possible? I don't know, but it happened, and I lived. I mean, I grew up at the four-way stop in Bolton, Mississippi, where Charlie Patton's from, where Sam Chapman's from, Walter Vincent, Bo Carter. Like, so many legends came from that town. And, you know, I that's, that's part of growing up in the South as a white kid. I just cut to the chase. You learn what they want you to learn. You don't learn yeah. the history of where you're from. You learn somebody's interpretation of that. So it wasn't until I got to Canada and I'd been up here a few years that people were starting to ask me about things. And, um, you know, I was still at the time I've been up here 10 years in a Southern rock band playing kind of country roots blues, blues music and <clears throat> under the moniker Mississippi live in the dirty, dirty. And I went home to see my dad one day and he has got some leukemia and we took a ride right up into the Delta and, big circle back around the home and went through bentonia and i wanted to show my dad this little juke joint that you know was in, in bentonia that a friend of mine had told me about i'd never even been in and that day the door was open and jimmy was inside and man he played one song for me and my dad and it it changed it literally changed my life
1: i know you're talking about jimmy.com's uh you know legend so it's that's 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 yeah, so awesome it's so awesome
0: blows me away still to this day and he, you know he's 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 a true gentleman he's a true teacher a mentor i mean and and you know it's seldom these days we talk about music it's more about life you know and he's got such a, a beautiful beautiful outlook on on life um such a real outlook you know like he's had to deal
1: with some shit so were you just down there just a short time that time? So how much how much time did you get to spend with Jimmy? It was just like crash course stuff, or were you there for longer?
0: Well, that that so that was um, that was in 2017, and my my dad had had a, uh, he's got leukemia, he's been dealing with it for a while, and so I went home. I spent I spent about a week at home <clears throat> that trip, and and it was, it was what happened the day I met him which was just so serendipitous, um, and played music. I got him to sign my guitar and, uh, I went home and, uh, I was chatting with a buddy of mine, Alan Huffman. He's a writer, a journalist down in Mississippi, and he writes for different magazines when he's not working on books. And he was like, oh man, I know him. I got to go interview him for a magazine for like Delta Airlines or something. And I was like, oh man, well, I want to come with you. He's like, come and take some pictures and bring your guitar and let's see if he'll give you a lesson. And When Jimmy saw me show up with that guitar and he figured out that I played music, he was like, then we just started talking and I went back out there a few times and he was doing a show in Vancouver that summer. So he put me in touch with the guy that was booking him. And then I ended up picking him up from the airport and took him over to the show and, uh, you know, hosted him while he's playing this little festival. And I mean, by the time he left Vancouver that summer, it felt like a good friend was leaving. And that's the way it's felt ever since then. it blows my mind. Like he grew up, you know, 20 miles from where I grew up and,
1: and I never knew. Him. Um, was that the first time that you started playing that kind of hill country blues? And is like, is it hard to put into words, like what, what you learned from Jimmy and what he gave to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I try to, cause, cause I want to honor it. And I think that it, it is important. Um, he, uh, he didn't have to teach me nothing um he saw me show up with that guitar and and he just start started showing me things and that was my first you know that was my i tried to write a blues song a few years before and i think i googled youtube like how to write a blues that was that was the, the, the the truth of the matter and then jimmy he plays this song for me and my dad one day and it floored me it was must have been the devil and You know, I I just wanted to learn to play his style. And he told me right away, he's like, you're not going to be able to play like me right away. He's like, it's going to take years, you know, and he he was right. You know, Uh, I still can't play like him. But here I am six, seven years in and I'm starting to just now do things that he was like, just keep playing, keep playing. It'll come. It'll come.
2: How did your southern rock background help you transition to this style of music?
0: Well, <clears throat> it um, I you know I, I don't know if it helped. I think this style of music actually helped me to kind of more obscure the southern rock aspect of what we were doing like we turn up the we turn the amps up and then we play a song and it's all on one chord you know and sometimes you hear southern rock bands do that like you know zz top that you know they had a lot of good hits like that and what i've come to learn is that they're playing in jimmy's tune and they're playing in that open c minor open d minor tuning a lot you know sometimes they have more turnarounds and whatnot but you know the emphasis on the Bentonia style and what Jimmy's doing, and a lot of that hill country is—is is you just hang on that one chord, you know, hang on that one. Simpler is better, more obscure is better, you know, like more eerie, more like what the fuck did we just do? That's it, you know. We want to grab onto that. So, you know, a lot of what Jimmy's been teaching me and kind of challenging me to do is to just kind of simplify what it is we're doing. Um, you know, don't try to write a song let it come out. Don't try to add chords, try to take them away, you know? Um, So it's, it's, it's been a really interesting,
1: interesting experience. So I, my hat's off to all, you know, the Hill Country Blues players, because to me it takes a lot of discipline to stay on those one couple chords, you know, and just, you know, be passionate about that. A lot of people would be, I want more. I want to play more. You know, whatever. Yep. So, it, 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 I'm, you guys got to be some different kind of cats to, you know, like I said, just be uh, disciplined and, and stay stay on that one chord. Can you speak on that? <clears throat> yeah,
0: it you know it is it is tricky sometimes, um, and it's something that I'm I'm really grateful for my my bandmates um, in particular, uh, uh, Tom and and Jay. Tom plays bass and Jay plays drums. They had a, a lot more experience with. Uh, the blues before i came along and they're two canadian fellas you know and uh mm. um but uh you know jay uh jay played with a all country outfit up here called the blue shadows for a long time and uh they were headed up by billy castle who you might have heard of and man they were they were really great um just incredible incredible country music coming out of this part of Canada, right about the time a grunge hit in the, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so Jay and Jay's played with a ton of other bands, but you know, he's always been challenging me to kind of like, you know, we don't, why do we need a chord there? Why don't we need a turnaround? Why don't we just stay on that? And at first it was like, so awkward to me. It was, I, I'd even get kind of flustered. It maybe a little irritated and, and I just realized mm-hmm. why, you know, now, now it's just like it's second nature it's just like oh we don't need this here we don't need that there we don't need this here you know like let's just straight through you know and and we get you know people asking us all the time like you're there's no fourths or eights or 12 there's no turnaround like what's going on you know and i'm like i I don't know we just playing it you know like
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people are like much more aware of the chicago style blues Yep. And I think you know Mississippi Hill Country Blues is a little more underground. But I say like, it's almost kind of like to me, it has like almost like an outlaw kind of vibe to it. I mean, as far as being more more underground and it's a little more sacred. What's that feel like to you?
0: Uh is a good word for it. Um, you know, uh it's something that um I I love, so I, you know, when I started studying architecture in Auburn, um, I, I studied a, a bit, um, under, uh, kind of not under because the fellow had died, but he died not long before I got there. And the school that I went to was still highly influenced by him. Sambo Mockby, he was an architect from Mississippi who taught at Auburn for a long time and started the Rural Studio. But his, uh, his emphasis <laughs> and um other architects like uh um fella out of Arkansas that just won the AIA gold medal a few years back. But they talk about the emphasis of the vernacular on uh their design processes and and the vernacular being, you know, not like a building that somebody paid an architect to design and build, but something that just, you know, like the lean to that my papa put on the side of his house so he could have a a wash house, you know, and sometimes, you know, you, you ride through my little town of Bolton and you see these shotgun houses and you see, um, houses with dog, you know, cabins with dog trots and, you know, uh, down South, you got the porch and, you know, they paint the ceiling of the porches blue and that keeps the wasps off and things like that. And it's just those like, those subtle kind of vernacular inconsistencies that you see around that are just so beautiful and old. And like it, to me, hanging on that one chord or that one note or um, having that kind of that rhythmic kind of drony kind of, you know, like a train going down the track that just can't stop, you know, it's just going to go, you know, like to me, it it's eerie and it's, and it is, it is, kind of spiritual it is kind of there's like a heartbeat it's almost like a heartbeat or something you know like there's something to to, to it and so I I think for yeah like uh, um, I think for me I've been very very inspired by that and and trying not to really mess with it but try to just kind of dive into it so so to speak.
1: I, I wish I had, I got pen and paper here, but I wish I had more because I'm hearing all these cool, you know, Mississippi South, you know, words and whatever, describe things. I mean, I know I'm going to go back and listen, I got to write this down, but uh, yeah. just last night, I think it was last night I was listening to an old rig rundown for, with Luther Dickinson from North Mississippi all-stars and yeah. he he made a comment. He goes, yeah, I think Mississippi is, an, uh, it's his own planet.
0: I'd agree. I mean, that's – I mean, it's really cool. Like, you know, one of the things that we're so intrigued about in Mississippi by going down there is you don't really know how things are going to play out. You know, it's like you're going to go play a a show at Jimmy's. Well, I don't know who's going to show up. I don't know if there's going to be a PA system. So, you know, they might be drunk, they might be sober. Um, it might be rain, lightning storm, tornadoes. I don't know, you know, but the music's gonna happen. And what happens when the music happens is everybody comes together black, white, yellow, red. I mean, it don't matter. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes together and it's absolutely beautiful. And it's not what you see on the news, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that the problems that we see on the news don't exist down there. My experience down there is that music is the thing, the healing part of, of that brings people together. And I've I've witnessed that, you know, year in and year out going out to Jimmy's, you know, and there's, there's, there's just something to be said that i think and so you know we don't and so what it's done for us is it's kind of freed us up up here like with this last album we did pandora sessions we were like well let's not go into a studio let's just mic the amps in the studio space and just record it in there like that's what we do in Jimmy spot we'd use a couple of amps and whatever mics we had and that's the way we do it and and then uh you know we have twelve songs on that album, and I think there was a good eight of them that I didn't write before we recorded. I was just like Jay it. Lit. he hit a beat, and I started went in with a riff, and the song just came out. wasn't a lot of editing, but that's a, that's also something that we witness a lot <coughs> in Bentonia, uh, playing with Jimmy and the late R.L. Boyce. Is he just get up there, start playing, and a song would come out, and you're like, "What the, what the hell is this? I've never heard this before." It's like that. He, I Me mean, neither. You know, like it's, it's it's amazing. It's it it speaks to the vernacular. It speaks to the intuitive. It speaks to a music that's born of of uh, of, of a
1: spiritual
0: kind of uh, angst or yearning. I think.
1: Since you started playing this music, have you uh, do you have any uh, camaraderies or? or... I don't know what word I'm trying to think of a cool word like other you know musicians some from, from Mississippi that are playing this kind of music that you've gotten to be friends with or have camaraderie with or your compadres any compadres from the Mississippi Hill Country blues style
0: well yeah <clears throat> um you know just being able to go play at Jimmy's you know you get to meet anybody that comes through there and um, I've uh, you know I've gotten to see you know Cedric Burnside play, and man, he's just amazing. Uh, he played a set with Trenton Ayers there one night, and the two of them, like Trenton's dad, is a is a is a well respected uh, elder blues musician, and um, you know he, you know R.L. Boyce would come down and play, and then I got to you know, meet him a few times, and then he'd get me up on stage with him, and I'd be like, I I can't hang with you, RL, and he's like, well, I'm gonna show you how. Get up here, you know, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, uh, Terry Harmonica Beam, he's been up here to Vancouver to play with Jimmy, and uh, you know, same thing. He's like, get up here on the stage with us, and I'm like, I I can't. I'm not there yet, and he's like, I don't care. This is how you get here, and so there's a lot of baptism by fire, and I think because of that, there is, is a camaraderie, you know, it's like anybody that you met, you probably done picked with a little bit, you know, and, and I really, I really like that, you know, it's very uncomfortable, but once you do it a few times, it's like, that's, that's, that's how the show goes on, you know, that's how the show, because somebody's got to be playing music because other people are there to listen and drink. And if people are drinking, the bar's making money. And that's that, you know, it ain't about the money, but it's about the money.
1: Um, I'm trying to think other uh, North Mississippi Hill Country artists we've had head on or people that play that kind of style music. I, early on, we had Lightning Malcolm, and I'd a, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked him. Like, everyone I think has their person that they you know, look up to, that, like, that that guy was the renegade, that you, know, that, you know, that guy's a badass, that guy's a renegade, whatever. But to me, I always love hearing about any legends about uh, R.L. Burnside, because I think he's just, he's the man. Oh man, like <laughs> he's so like just, I mean, I, I'm blown away. We're both
0: my drummer and I have been heavily inspired by him over the last year or two, you know, and um just blown away, you know, blown away. I mean that guy, oh my God, like, you know, and and, and but to watch Cedric play, I mean, like mm-hmm. and you know, to know that Cedric recorded with him, you know, like that, I mean. I think it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's really cool to see the next generation of blues musicians starting to evolve, you know, and also with the nod back to the, to the elders, you know, because nobody, nobody learns on their own. It's <clears throat> you're always, it's, it, it, I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, people helping me out, like where would I be? You know, I mean, I, in some ways I owe it all to Jimmy because he, you know, he just started teaching me, and I said, "Jimmy, what do I do to pay you back?" And he said, "Show somebody else. You know, if somebody wants to learn this style of the blues music.
1: You offer to help them." Was that R.L. Cedric's dad, or his, was a his grandfather? I think it was his grandfather. Yeah, that's what I thought.
0: Well, yeah, I know and-
1: I saw you- R.L. play twice. I saw him play twice, and I believe like Cedric was playing drums with him, and then Kenny Brown was playing guitar with hmm. those guys. Yeah, yeah, that's another legend, Kenny Brown. Yeah so is there a kind of scene in Vancouver for you know any kind of blues or you know you said you were in a southern rock band there what what's that like the music climate there in Vancouver it's
0: uh
1: it's interesting
0: you know I've been here this is this is my 17th year and when I got here, there was a lot of kind of like, you know, roots rock country, um, you know, uh, you know, country Western and, um, and, but, but you know, it, it. a lot of the music scene is contingent on venues as well. And so, you know, we've, we've had like a bunch of venues that, you know, people played at for years and years and years, you know, they shut down and the music scenes just kind of, you know they the kind of hem and haw like there's there are you know really great blues bands up here um you know i i don't really play with them um or you know i i tend to stick with venues that i like more than anything and there's a couple here in the hood that i really love and so i, I usually end up playing shows like um, a few years back we played the rickshaw and we had an opening spot for a couple of metal bands out of san francisco <laughs> <in> seattle. <laughs> yeah. and seattle honestly i mean it it actually sounded pretty good because yeah, all of our clips yeah. are open tuning and it's distorted and so you know you could yeah. see people like what the fuck is this you know like,
2: yeah, it's got a little you got a little heaviness to what you're doing
0: there you go yeah and so even live it's you know it's even more and so mm. you know i think um so that's that's been interesting, too, is like, um, you know, uh, one, one, you know, in 19, I got a cancer diagnosis and I had a couple of surgeries since then. And so it, it, there's been the the kind of health aspect that kind of took me out of being able to do a whole lot other than record, um, you know, which uh, I was grateful to release a slew of albums over the last number of years. But what it's also done is it's put me in a position where I'm like, you know, I I only want to play the shows I want to play and I'm not going out and looking for a lot of shows to do because I have a lot of anxiety about playing live mm-hmm. and I'll get sick to my stomach and um, I don't enjoy it that much because I'm just so fucking anxious. Um, but I do think it's important to play live because of what I've learned from being back home with, with those elders, you know, and it's, and it, not just because it's bigger than me, right? Like there's a lot of people that get a lot of stuff out of a live show, you know, and, um and I, and as a student of Jimmy's and as an ambassador to my home in Mississippi, it's important that I do get out and play up here. So we've picked a couple of rooms that we like to play that feel really good and kind of cozy to us and, You know, if if we get a bigger uh, shot from something like Live Nation or something, we'll definitely take it. And it's happened in the last few years, you know, every every once in a while. But um, I think right now for us, it's like smaller shows really work on our craft. And so when the big shows call us, you know, we'll be we'll be ready.
2: Uh, Let's talk about your catalog a little bit, your record. So why don't you walk us through your albums and up to this last one, the Pandora Sessions, and kind of give us a little bit about what's going on.
0: Right on, yeah. So the first album is just Mississippi Live, um, and it's uh, we recorded that in 2009, and that was myself and another um, producer here in the city. And it was it was really uh the first time I'd ever done anything and it was I'd lay down something on acoustic guitar and sing and then he'd put something over it and um <clears throat> but it was also uh you know it got a couple of cool reviews right out the gate and so um I put together a band to do a, a album release and that that ended up being our next record which was way down here which was more of a kind of alt-country Southern rock album um with a four-piece band and you know the all the turnarounds and the guitar solos and fun stuff. And we released, uh, going down or yeah, going down after that, which was another kind of more kind of falling into that kind of Southern rock and and alt country kind of vibe. And, um, after that, I released a few EPs, uh, um, you know, just kind of going through some stuff and that was right about the time I met Jimmy actually. And man, when I met Jimmy, um, it was really it was crazy. It was like something about sitting down with him and learning like, I mean, it just opened the floodgates and all of these songs just started coming out and all these iterations of old blues songs started coming out. And so I um, I booked some studio time in Alberta with a fellow named Leroy Stagger um he's a canadian songwriter and uh troubadour is an all-around great guy incredible producer um i went over to his place and then one day we tracked the dirty south blues album and he mixed it i had a friend master it when we released it and that was the one that took off and like it was I pushed it for a year and, you know, thought it had gone as good as it was going to go. And then KEXP got a hold of it and um, they started playing it. And then I got a songwriter of the year nomination for it and things just kind of, boom, it was like, okay, this is, this is happening. And so, um, but then I got the cancer diagnosis and, um during that uh we recorded the country supper album which was like a two album kind of deal um lots of blues southern rock country like I mean it's got every genre you know that I've ever played in it and uh and um we recorded that in the same room that uh the same studio that Aerosmith recorded their uh Bruce Fair- Fairburn albums and ACDC was in that room and like I mean it's just crazy cra- Motley Crue <laughs> you know like Dr. Feelgood like it's I mean I was just, all the shit I listened to when I was a kid you know, was yeah, like, yeah. In, you know and, uh, then I, I did an acoustic solo album after that called Ain't Enough just just to have it to pitch to sync and TV, TV and film and uh, then we did the Shake It album and then early part of last year, we did a live album called cherry ball. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, uh, after playing the Bentonia blues festival this year, my drummer and I came back and we just, you know, we mic the space and we did Pandora sessions over a few weekends of just jamming. And, yeah, it's really like, oh, and there's a live in East Van, which was uh, initially recorded as a series of videos for an online blues show that happened at the start of the pandemic. And that actually has been a really uh, great performing album for us. You know, another duo kind of heavy blues album. And so it's really just been about kind of following our gut. And, you know, like, where are we at the at whatever given time, you know? And so, I, I th- but I think we like this idea of like, working in our own little studio and seeing if we can, you know, really nail down the, the beds and the sounds, what we're looking for. We found that more eerie, more obscure, more dirty, more kind of, you know, uh, anything that doesn't sound normal is w- what works for us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if, uh, you know, our audience listening now, if they're not familiar with your music, where would you tell, tell them this as a good starting point in your catalog?
0: Um, definitely head over to our YouTube page. <laughs> um, we just, we dropped a single off our Pandora albums, uh, Pandora Sessions album, um, two months ago. And like, uh, we did a video for the, the, the first single getting tired of getting old and that thing's already got 90,000 views. And I've never had a video do that before. I mean, I have a video really? my performing video before that was five years old and it had 20,000 views. So something, something's happening with this Pandora Sessions album that is, it's interesting because you release an album and you send it out to the journalists and the radio stations and you kind of, you kind of judge it, you know? And so I haven't gotten that much response to the Pandora Sessions album as I have other albums. Ha- having said that it is, it is a more unique uh, sound experience because it, it you know, it wasn't in a big studio, but the fan response has been crazy. Like that's, that's what I've noticed about this album. And there's just something more real about it for me. Like the songs were intuitive. They weren't written and, you know, and people are, people dig that. Like there's something about it. So it, it's been very inspirational to my my drummer and I, you know, to uh, see that and, and see that actually happen, you know, after 16 years of working together, it's like, our best performing album to date. Mm-hmm. One we didn't do in a studio and we didn't write the songs for it. And they're all on one chord. And you know, I mean, it's like it's it goes back to that conversation about you know, keep it simple, stupid, like you know, simplifying things, like take that chord out of that song, take that chord out, you know, like there's something interesting about that.
1: Um listening to you uh, talk about how you know recording these shows. It's very fascinating when it sounds simple. I mean, is it really like you're just setting up mics and what is that getting recorded into it? And is that like this, the final copy right there? Or how's that all work? Yeah. So like we'd,
0: we'd have an amp, uh, I got an old harmony amp. Um, I got another kind of nice amp that was made by a buddy of mine here in East Vancouver. That's what I sing through. It's got some reverb to it. Very simple. Um, but, uh, but really, really good sound. And, uh, so we just tried to kind of separate our, our studio space up and then mic each amp. And then we had a mic on the a few mics on the two mics on the drums, I think, and a mic in the vocal amp and a mic in my guitar amp. And then that went into a little four channel mixer that the drummer had right beside his drum set. And so he just we just kind of turn everything on and he'd take a listen and, you know, see yeah it's it sound. We'd play a couple of seconds, you know, see if everything sounded like it was you know, you know, getting as as good a sound as we could get out of there. And if you listen to that album, you know, there's the songs are quite different, you know, um, sonically. And I was, uh, to be honest with you, this album, I was probably the most like insecure about releasing. Um, having said that, I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, but, but still, you know, it's it like, the sounds you can, you can tell when you listen to it, but it's very honest. It's an Mm -hmm. honest reflection or like an honest kind of capture of, of those moments. And so we want to try to, we want to get better about that, you know, but I I think for right now, like that's kind of how our, our process is. And like when we did the live album in, in uh, January, uh, Terry ball uh, uh, here in Vancouver, same thing, like he just mic'd, mic'd everything, and they ran it to the board, and then they gave us the beds. So that was that was kind of even better than what we did with Pandora sessions in a way. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, like that's that's pretty much how that that went.
1: Is that is that inspired by, or you know, is it somewhat inspired by you know the way the elder statesmen, you know, you know the blues guys did you know like say you know another legends junior kimbrough and his his juke joint you know that burned down is that is how they would do it too
0: yeah like you know um i was really inspired by these videos seeing like rl uh or sorry rl burnside you know playing in his front yard you know Mm -hmm. like sitting on a amp you know you see the same thing with rl Boyce, you know you'd have a drummer and you'd have a guitar sitting on a an amp, man, another amp right beside him. And, you know, he's singing and playing and, you know, like it's so simple and it's so effective. Um, so we just decided like, Hey, let's see what we can do. And and the thing was we were getting some, like there's some really interesting kind of sounds. And because uh, I'm playing in that open C minor or D minor or F minor tuning, you get, Like that's a C, G, C, D sharp, G, C. So you got three C strings and like what ZZ Top would do is they detune and up tune the bottom and the top one just so they just a little bit, just so you get some really weird sounds when you play both of them together. You know what I mean? Like. And mm-hmm. so you just start to get these. So there's moments in that Pandora Sessions album where, and the live in East Van, because it was recorded in a similar fashion where I'm like, I don't know how we got that sound. Like, I don't know where that note came from. Like that note, I didn't play. That happened as a result of the way this thing was tuned and the distortion and all of that shit. Like it's, it's really, it's really cool to me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating. Those tunings, those open tunings, and once again, when I was watching that rig rundown with Luther Dickinson, like all his guitars were like tuned to like mm-hmm. different open tunings and stuff. Like, yep. I would, I would. Do you know, Robert? Do you know more about the history? How that came about? Like, is that something that came from standard, or is standard ever played in your style of music? Or, you know, it's just fascinating. What can you say about that?
0: Well, I know that Jimmy can play standard tuning just as good as he can play an open tuning. And that's really cool to me. Although uh, I don't know much about the open G tuning that I think Kimbrough and Burnside might've played. It's in. A very
2: pop- I mean, that's very popular, particularly in rock. Like, you know, you talk about the stones, the black crows, they all do open G.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that was really interesting to me about when I met Jimmy was he was in this open C minor tuning and I, I, I got to talk, you know, talking a lot with, uh, his, his manager at the time who was a kind of a Bentonia historian in a sense. And, um, that tuning, uh, was different. Uh, that's, that's why skip James sounds so eerie. Um, because he's, he's playing a lot in those open to tu- in that kind of open minor tuning, as opposed to the, the, the open C or uh, sorry, the open G tuning. Um, but, um, uh, my understanding from what Jimmy has told me and what I've read about the history of the Bentonia style was Jimmy learned from a fella named Henry Stuckey. Henry Stuckey was like the, he was like the OG Bentonia blues guy. And when he was young, he went to world war one somewhere. And when he was there, he met some guys, some soldiers from, I don't know if he was in Africa or if he met some soldiers from somewhere in Africa that were playing an open minor tuning on some of their instruments. And so he came home and he kind of was like he liked that minor, that kind of really sad sound. And so he started playing in that tuning. Then he started teaching Skip James. And Skip started playing in that tuning. He's and I, he also taught Jack Owens, who was Jimmy's kind of main mentor up until he died in the eighties. Um, Jack was a big advocate for Jimmy to start playing. Like he, J- J- Jack, when Jack knew he was going to die, he was like, "Jimmy, you got to start playing. Like you're the only one." Um, so my understanding is that 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 tuning that makes the Bentonia sound so obscure kind of came from the original elder henry stuckey's travels during his experience as a soldier overseas um but i don't know like where that it it could have been like from the caribbeans or something like that so um yeah
1: it it is a little bit different so i play bass but i just started playing guitar i played bass on an awful long time but to start playing guitar and you know talking about this tuning you know, I'm playing in standard, like how, like when you're playing that that open tuning, that, that C minor, like how different is it the, the chords you make? Like do you get used to playing chords on uh, on standard and then go to do that? Like how do you – how does that evolve? How do you figure all that out? Well,
0: I mean, I don't really play chords anymore. Um, like that's the interesting thing about the, ben, the Bentonia tuning, that open minor tuning for me is – um, it, and it, it's so serendipitous that I started out taking that arpeggio class, and when I was 19 years old in college, I I, I took I you know because it, they were teaching me to play with my fingers, and Jimmy plays with his fingers a lot on both hands too. Like if you watch Jimmy while he's playing, he's moving his right hand while you know he's strumming the strings and picking the strings. But if you look at his left hand, where he where you might hold a g chord or something his left hand is always moving it's all it's like a snake or something it's so cool to watch him play and i've shown my i've shown a guitar fr- teacher friend of mine out here paul pagat who's like one of the world's best rockabilly guitarists and he's like it sounds like there's three guys playing right there <laughs> <laughs> you
4: know
0: so it's it's weird like there aren't any like there's I think one bentonia chord I know and it's kind of like a d but it's in reverse or something you know but you always pick it you know and it yeah so and my bass player I you know I I don't even he just he asked what 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 tuning we're in and I and I think he just I think he just plays in the scale or
2: whatever yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. almost like being in a jam band
0: it really is. It really is. Like in fact, when so my bass player, he had a car wreck two years ago and he hasn't been able to play with us. And so it's we've we've kind of gone back to this duo thing, guitar and drums, which ironically is is the way that you know Lightning Malcolm was playing with R.O. Boyce and a lot of these guys. It was just a guitar, uh, uh Leo Bud Welch, you know. Um, you know, he it was a guitar and a drummer, right? And so it's really challenged me to kind of, you know, up my, my picking style and my playing style. And so like somebody asked me a few months ago, like, who's playing bass on the Pandora sessions? And I was like, nobody, we don't, there's no bass player. It's just me picking, you know? And so, but you know, I couldn't do that right. When Jimmy started teaching me, it's only now where now it's kind of come a second nature where I'm just kind of walking the bass line the whole time through the song in that kind of open, like tune mm-hmm. tuning. Well, it kind of feels bassy in a way, you know. It sounds like a bass guitar.
2: Well, oh, if you're hitting one of those low open strings, it does give you those are bass notes, oh,
0: you know. Man. and like that's the thing. It's like you just, man, you want to do that as much as you can. Like it's, yep. there's
1: something there. It's it's something there. So are are you always like finger finger picking? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I can't play with a pick, man. I I'd, I'd hurt somebody with a pick.
2: Like, <laughs> Even when you're doing your Southern rock or like rock music, you're still all using your fingers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing too, is I've been, now I've been so kind of into this, into this kind of wormhole of the Bentonia style. Now I'm starting to revisit a lot of my old Southern rock songs as a kind of more, more uh, obscure kind of blues song. And it's, you know, I mean, it's cool. It's it's there. It's workable. So I, you know, it's it's been fun. But like that's a thing. Like the stuff that we were playing two three years ago, like we don't. I mean, even if we play it the same way, it, it, we, even if we play it live, it's not going to sound the same way because we just we sound totally different. Like it's just constantly evolving.
2: It'd probably be interesting for you if you took some of those old songs like that and played them now in this style. Like just you know, even make make a record or put a couple on a record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's my 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 drummer and I were just talking about that the other day. It's like we just need to pick 10 or 15 songs that we did, you know, a decade ago and just see what happens, you know, like just just try to try to revisit them because you might you might have a whole another record or two right there. That's right. This material is already written. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's one of the goals of this podcast to really hopefully get, you know, some people to see, you know, where Southern Rock relates to the blues and and comes from like the same genetics so to speak so that's, it's interesting like talk about that
0: yeah 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 100 and i mean and it does i mean it's just when you look at like skinner and zz top and Alwyn brothers you I mean all those guys were so heavily influenced by you know blues you know yep. um it's just i mean it's just
1: always been right there i mean like it just blows my mind so we forgot to mention we'd like to do the lightning round at the end, of like uh, some silly questions. Would you be up for that? And and maybe yeah. a little, maybe a, a little gear talk before we get into that. Jason, you want to do some guitar yeah. amp questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: I, I'm interested. You know, Brian alluded to is watching Lutheran Dickinson's rig rundown. Like, give it. Like, what's what's your rig look like right now from a guitar to amp?
0: It's it's so simple, man. Like it's so simple. I use a three thirty five um i run it through a tuner and i run it through a um a union uh tube and transistor they're made here in vancouver um you might have seen stapleton playing one at the 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 big football game there when he did the halftime show um everybody was here up here was like holy shit he's using a union pedal um but some friends of ours make them here in town and uh and then i my drummer uh Uh, I guess about 10 years ago, he pulled this old Harmony amp that he had in storage. It was his brothers um, who recently passed away, and that's the only amp I use. I use an old Harmony amp from the 70s. You turn it all the way up, and you plug that union pedal in, you turn it halfway up, and that's the sound right there off a 335. It's got to be a guitar with F-holes in it, though. Like, I can't play a telly, and I mean, if it's a jazz guitar, fuck that. I'm not playing it. Like...
2: (laughs) Big old arch top, no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, but that's what I found over the last, last, I guess, six, seven years is it's really hard for me to move from that Harmony amp, the Union uh, tube and transit. It's a tone druid is what it is. It's a gray pedal and it's absolutely amazing. Like just tone for days, man, like tone for days. It's, oh, ooh, make me, I just want I just want to get in it. Um and then yeah. that that 335 is and that's it like that's the sound. Is
1: that so is tell that a, about your 330?
0: 330... Go ahead, Brian.
1: Yeah, go ahead. You we got the same question. is that like just a, a, a hollow body or semi hollow?
0: Yeah, it's like a it's a sim it well, it's I mean it's um uh, You playing the my, Gibson? Well, no, it's the Epiphone version. So I think it's a 339. That's what it is. Yeah,
2: the 339's got a little bit of more of the smaller body than like the 335 that has the bigger body.
0: Okay. It's the epiphone and it is it is the bigger body. It's not the smaller okay. body. So um it is the bigger it's like and it's got two F holes in it. And you know that's about all I know about it.
1: <laughs> when I when I watched that rig rundown again with Luther, you know, he was had all hollow body or semi hollow body guitars.
2: Gotta put my headphones back on. All right. That's I it, have yeah. the Joe Bonamassa 62. That's it. Reissue, yep, and it is. Um, it's it's great. Like Epiphone's make extremely good semi hollow bodies. Whether it's the classic Casino that's been around, and the 335 version, these things are fantastic. And I could not uh, recommend one more if you want a hollow body, a semi hollow body.
0: Hundred percent, man. I'm in, and, and I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking the Casino, but I've tried it. I couldn't make it work um it it's just it's just that that one that one uh 339 i think it is uh it's got a it's fire burst you know black and yellow and and i you know I, I love it um i got another uh little uh backup guitar which is a hollow body uh telly with two homebuckers on it and but it just doesn't got the depth that that Epiphone does. And another reason why I really love the Epiphone is because I figure if I was ever going to get a sponsorship out of a one or the other, I'd probably get one out of Epiphone. So I'm always going to plug Epiphone and Jimmy plays Epiphone. Jimmy play. That's. They There's him nothing
2: him wrong with Epiphone. Again, semi hollow semi-hollow body. body guitars are amazing. They've been played by artists for decades.
0: Yes. Yes hundred percent. I love them. I love them. I can't say enough about them. In fact, I got a few of them.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm not spending $4,000 on the Gibson 335.
0: No, no. I, I got two Gibsons, actually. In fact, uh, a handful of the songs on Pandora Sessions, speaking of rig rundown, uh, they are recorded on an acoustic guitar. and that's a 16- I got a couple. Yeah, no, I know looking back. <laughs> I got, but they're
2: Les Paul's. I got Les Paul's special and a standard, so. But oh, I've got right. the Fenders up there, too, Italian and Strat, so. There you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the only other guitar I used on Pandora Sessions was a 68 uh, Gibson B-18, I think. So it was like their cheap kind of parlor guitar. Yeah. Um, But I had a buddy put a pickup in it, and we ran that into that Harmony amp as well. Uh, no pedal, and just turned the amp all the way up. And it, it sounded really cool. I mean, it plays like a kind of semi, like a hollow body electric guitar. So, you know, uh, but that was all all we used on that record.
2: <clears throat> yeah. And Brian, do you know why I have this model 335? No. Leilani talked me into getting it. Oh, okay. I was on the fence and I am very glad she did. The one I have, um, Robert, is... It's a Joe Bonham. It's like it's a, a replica of his 62 he sold, but it's the Epiphone version. Has the Burst Bucker pickups, like actually Gibson America, but they're really nice. Has the trim bar on it, which I didn't think awesome. I'd like. I actually don't mind it, but it, it, they just build
0: a great guitar. They build a great guitar. And I, 100%. 100%. So hopefully they'll listen to this episode and maybe they'll sponsor both of them. <laughs> well,
2: A guest we had on the fall, Emily Wolf, who's a, a, I don't even know how to describe her music because blues influence, but it's much more modern out of Austin, Texas. She has, she just came out with her second um, Epiphone. She's got a black wolf. Then the white wolf came out and it's a version of the casino, but it's got a a smaller headstock and it's a, it's a killer guitar. It's a killer guitar for like
0: 800 bucks. I want to look, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to
2: look that up. Yeah. Check out Emily Wolf and Wolf hat. She has an E at the end of her name.
1: Right on. Will do. Will do. Will do. When you talk about, like you say, you can't play a telly, You can't play these other guitars. It's just from the tone or the sound, or is the neck? Do you prefer the neck on the the semi hollow bodies, or
0: it's the tone. It's the sound. Yeah. You know, like I mean, I've had some beautiful tellies, and I just had to get rid of them because I couldn't use them, and. But I'm but I'm cool with it, you know. Like it's it's good to know what works because mm-hmm. there's nothing more uh infuriating than having a nice guitar and not being able to get your sound out of it. And yeah, you know, so that's been a lot of like I think the last kind of 10 years is just kind of learning a lot and honing at the same time, you know. But you know, now I know I know that if I'm gonna go play live somewhere, like I need I need a big fucking guitar with some airspace in it two humbuckers (laughs) you know what i mean
2: well it's the style you're playing that that goes towards that right you're not going to be playing Les paul you're not going to be playing a strat get the same sound
0: exactly exactly uh
2: do you ever use acoustics
0: yeah in fact i do a lot of writing on acoustics and so um and and in fact i'm just you showed me your guitar while I'll show you mine. Our, please uh, do. <laughs> it's uh, it's I just Ooh, this is my wall yeah. of guitars.
2: And, you do you have uh, a wall
0: of guitar. Yeah, and so it's just it's it's what I use to write with. Uh, I I got a twelve old twelve string Gibson that I keep in an open C minor tuning. It sounds really wicked. Um, and uh, then I got this. I got the sixty eight Gibson. Um, you know, six string. I got a Les Paul electric and then I got two acoustic guitars and yeah, I just, I keep them in all different kinds of, you know, some's in an open D some's an open E some's an open C, you know, like there's one standard in there for um, a couple of years back. I got a wild hair up my ass and wrote a song in standard tuning for the first time in forever. And I think it's probably the best song I've ever written called ain't enough. And <laughs> it just came out. I mean, the amount of time it takes you to listen to the song, you listen to the first time I heard it, you know what I mean? Like some of the songs are just coming out nowadays. They just come out. Like I literally, anytime I sit down to play, I hit record because something something could come up and I don't remember well. Um, yep. you know, and I don't write shit down either. So I just hit that record and then I always got it. And you know, but uh, I keep a standard there just, you know, because I need to, I want to brush up on those old country songs now and, you know, just kind of, I've been thinking, you know, it's been nice to do a lot of blue stuff, but, you know, I I should probably revisit some standard tuning songs because I got so many of them. You
2: know? Well, remember how to play a chord or, or a proper scale.
0: That's it. <laughs> That's it.
2: <laughs> do I remember a pentatonic minor? Yeah, I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was that was one of the things that i really loved about meeting jimmy because right off the bat he's like i don't know much about guitars i don't really know how to tune it you know uh but i will play everything that i got for you you know and and it was like and he will and sometimes he plays and it's and he's not even in tune but it still sounds cool you know but you know <laughs> only he could do that though but uh yeah you know it was it was inspirational to me because I I don't know a whole lot about guitars or rigs and I don't you know I'm, I'm just not a very technical guy but you give me an instrument and I I can play a song you know and 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 um and I love that about Jimmy because you know he he will he will play for you if if he's got an instrument and that's some that's a beautiful thing.
2: Love it. Brian, any more gear talk for Robert before we give him a couple little crazy questions so he can get on his way? No,
1: I think I'm good. I think we're good.
2: All right. Let's jump into the lightning round. So we always ask our guests some silly kind of silly questions. Okay, so if you're game, we'll we'll jump into this. Let's do it. All right. What's one thing that you like about living in Canada versus the States?
0: Two Thanksgivings.
2: Two Thanksgiving's.
1: (laughs) Two turkey dinners.
2: They do. There is an October, don't
0: they? One of them. Yes, sir. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I work with some, with some Canadians, too. So, I, you know, I, we always try to match up uh, the holidays. There's a lot of holidays in Canada. A lot.
0: There really are. There, I, I'm always surprised. I'm like, oh, there's a holiday this month. I did not know that.
2: The hell, there's a holiday every week. It feels like. I know. Uh, you know what? Good on them. We kill our we we work ourselves to death here, and they they do it right. Europeans, man, they actually give you plenty of time
0: off. I know. I know. Canada's again. Canada, I I gotta say, I I'm impressed with Canada.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean Vancouver too. It's a little bit like um, it's a little it's an entertainment hub. You know, it's on the west yeah. coast, kind of like L.A. They film a lot of shows and movies out there too
0: tons tons yeah and in, in fact uh they were just filming right down the street when i was on my way home you know and you never know like it's it, i mean it fills so many great shows here
2: yeah absolutely uh ketchup flavored potato chips where do you stand
0: man seriously like i'm that's i don't get it man that's like that's like pineapple on a pizza <laughs> <laughs> so you're
2: you're anti-ketchup flavored potato
0: chips and the worst is when my wife brings home the, a bag of potato chips and it's ketchup potato chips and there ain't no other kind of potato chips and I'm forced to eat them.
2: <laughs> it's just like a sweeter bar, like, you know, our barbecue sauce. It's like the sweet version of barbecue chips. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you guys have like the all, fla- all flavor
0: whatever chip too. I know, I know. I'll buy the all-flavored chips way before I buy the the, uh, the ketchup chips. <laughs> I do, I, do. I mean, I was just so surprised. I moved to Canada. I'm like, oh, they just – well, where are the mustard chips? Where are the mayonnaise chips? You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: years back when I was in Canada, I remember my kids – I had to bring ketchup-flavored chips back to them because they wanted to try. I think I got a tube of uh, – a uh, tube of the Pringles and then a bag of like Lay's or something to bring back for me, you know, try to not smash while you traveling. But chips they're are all right.
0: different com- countries. I mean, like they're just different. Like you go to Mexico and get those queso chips, man. Oh yeah. Top dollar for that shit here. I will pay $10. Uh, a bag.
2: Japan has a beer flavored potato chip.
0: Yeah 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 in fact there's a there's a store just down the street from my house and they it's like an import store with all all kinds of novelty drinks and chips and candies and like you go down there you get fagos and uh Whoa. anyway they got, kit they got section from all over the world and they got your, they got those japanese chips kit,
2: kit kats there brian there are you wouldn't believe how many flavor of kit kats are actually are in the world like so many yeah <laughs> What do you miss about the US living in Canada?
0: Um well I miss catfish, I miss cornbread, I miss like the soul food that was just everywhere at home, you know, like yeah. um I think that's the that's the thing I miss the most, like you know back home you could go get a catfish dinner or you know I knew where to go get good ribs or you know good barbecue or You know, back in the little town I grew up in Bolton, Mississippi, there was a place called Max Cafe and it was like a soul food kitchen. And I just don't see a lot of that up here. Having said that. You know, we got a lot of sushi. We got a lot of a lot of amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Vancouver, there's so many different ethnicities living in such yep. close proximity, man. I mean, the it's just so many great different kind of foods, Ethiopian, Mediterranean, sushi. I mean, Indian, like a whole nine yards. It's like all within a few blocks. So I that's I,
2: not I, southern soul. That's all they're missing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you get a side gig going. You can have, a you know, a soul food place.
0: Uh, you know what i'm seriously thinking about it like
2: <laughs> I, I would try it out when i was up there let's see what canadian soul food's all about
0: there you go, there you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right if you could choose any bill that you wanted to be on for a night like play with any artist who are you choosing
0: like current artists
2: anybody from history to now
0: from history to now
2: anybody oh. yep
1: Living or dead,
0: living or dead. You know, I mean, to be honest, it 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 have to be you know like Junior Kimbrough or Burnside or Leo Bud Welch. I mean, like you know, I, yeah. I mean, just I just want to soak up whatever I could, you know, from from them. You know, like give me somebody obscure that, you know, uh, like, I think, I think that, I think that, you know, I saw Leo Bud Welch the year before he passed away. And, um, and I remember, uh, I remember he was at the Bentonia blues festival and I had to leave. And I remember seeing him sitting under a tent with an oxygen machine and thinking like, like, it is so hot out here. It is so hot. And, and he was just about to go play, and I heard, like, one song, and I had to leave, and I always kicked myself because he became such a huge inspiration for me, and I would have just – I'd have loved to spend some time with that man.
2: That's a good choice. Yeah. Um, what's your dream
0: venue to play? The Blue Front Cafe, buddy.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. I love it, man. Like I, you know, I don't, I mean, big venues, uh, it might be fun, but I don't know. There's something about these old juke joints back home where, I mean, anything goes, man. Like it's, I. if you ever get a chance to go to the Bentonia blues festival and spend a few days in Jimmy's juke joint, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a life life changing experience.
2: Brian, we have to figure out a trip where we can go down, visit our friend David Hudson from the State mm-hmm. of America podcast, and go through some Mississippi mm-hmm. haunts with him.
1: Yeah. yeah, another trip to the Delta. He'd probably yeah.
2: make us ride a bike through everything, because he's on this big mountain bike, <laughs> <kick>.
0: <laughs> Oh man,
2: We might have to come in agreement that we're driving everywhere, not riding bikes.
0: Uh, if y'all go back, if y'all go back down there, y'all holler at me because I'm I yes. might be down there and, and I yeah. love to show you around, you know, but yeah, uh, no,
2: absolutely. That would be that would actually be fantastic if we could figure that out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: So
2: uh what are the last three artists that you've streamed or listened to?
0: Um it would be that Mexican OT. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but nope. he he uh, is a rap. He's a Mexican rapper, Mexican Houston rapper. Um, he he's out of Houston. Fuck, he's. I mean, he dropped a single a few days, a week or week or so ago, and he's just. It's. This so you're into
2: thing. Mexican rap music. Okay, okay. I would not expect that. That's a good one.
0: Well, it's like I'm into anything Southern, man, like Southern rap. Oh, I love Southern rap, like anything out of Memphis, New Orleans, Atlanta, you know, back home, you know. And anyway, this guy, I ran across him on YouTube and uh, he's like, it's it's like Nacho Libre meets like – (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh young doll first or it's yeah it's crazy it's so good um so it was uh him um and i was uh just streaming some jesse may hill um love i love her and uh who was the other person that i was just streaming oh yeah uh charlie crockett um he's dropping a new album and i really Really love Charlie Crockett. Um, what a phenomenal songwriter! Just a prolific uh, f- uh, creator as well. So, and the Sleaford Mods. I've I've really been inspired by their video work. Um, there are a couple of Scottish guys out, of, and like man, they, they sound are,
2: Scottish with that kind of name.
0: Yeah, they are really good, man. Check them out. They're, it's like, uh, would you
2: say the Sleaford
0: Mods? sleaford mods s-l-e-a-f-o-r-d-m-o-d-s yeah it really yeah, cool. like
2: the mods that was that old like 60s style and in, in the uk yeah there
0: you, go. there you go yeah it's man it's good it's good yeah okay
2: S- sleaford mods all right i'm gonna i'm gonna check them out and brian our friend tony higby we exchange weird bands i might have to send this over to him <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Tony if you're listening we're sending you the Sleaford mob, mobs your way um <laughs> last last question give us or tell us a story of an interesting thing that happened to you when you're playing live funny ba- like what if you had to tell somebody a great story about p- performing live or being on the
0: road what would you tell us? Oh man um let's see let's see uh, I, I think. I think one of the funniest things that happened to me was um, early on when I started performing as a songwriter um, was when I was doing that nonprofit work um, in like kind of 2008, 2007. And um, it was in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. And uh, there was a Mexican restaurant that would let me play for a few hours on Thursday night and they give me 40 bucks and a free meal, which I needed. Right. Like, yeah. Wasn't- yeah and uh so uh, i'd go and i'd set up in their little bar and i'd and i'd play and uh i remember one night there was this uh table uh two couple of ladies sitting across the room from me and um one of them just was not into what i was playing and so she just pulled her cell phone out and she just started playing a song really loud on her cell phone and and i was just like oh no you know and oh i was I was probably playing some, I don't know, Willie Nelson or I don't know, you know, something, something, or, and anyway, I was like, I I finished the song I was playing and I took a little break and I I walked by her table and I was like, I got a song for you. And I played her, uh, I will survive, uh, and, uh, not the cake version. Okay.
2: I was going to say Gloria getting her cake or whatever you got. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. She was blown away, man. Like it was, you know, but that's, you know, it, it just speaks to that that connection that happens through music, man. You know, and yeah. and, it, and it, it is so easy to get offended these days, but it's also so easy to to just you know shoot out some love instead of you know I'm 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 bad. You ask my wife, I'm bad about being an asshole. I mean, so it's like if, if I can, hey, remember- they kick
2: you out of Canada for that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's my one complaint about Canadians is they're just so nice and polite all the time.
0: <laughs> they really you know i i tell you i i, I can't speak enough of, of, about about the canadians i mean it's just uh, well i mean you know there's always assholes i mean you know it's my papa he used to say he can't do nothing with people and i mean you look at the state of the world right now it's like yeah. any country is struggling with the same thing that everybody else is struggling with you know so. there's
2: not a lot of assholes but they're the most vocal and get the most amount of attention
0: there you go. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do have one question. I, I I lied. So you're an Auburn grad. Yep. I was Alabama. Born... <laughs> so University of Alabama is. Are are we, we going to win the Iron Bowl now with Saban gone? Like what, and everybody transferring.
0: I just don't know. I mean, you know. They, that's the thing like with Auburn and Alabama it didn't matter how good either team was when those two teams met I mean it was it was a brawl it was it was a, a close
2: ball. game this year man really close
0: yeah. totally Auburn right? was leading totally. in third quarter yeah yeah there you go you know it's like and that's what but you know Alabama's consistently good and they got a lot of good players and they know their yeah. game you know like I, I I don't know I'd be interested to see what happens with them but you know, and, you know, I, I don't – I don't have no heart. I mean, good for Nick Saban, you know, whatever he wants to do, but I'm kind of tired of seeing Alabama win all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, come on.
2: <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who express that same sentiment. <laughs> I'm pulling for Auburn and the Iron Bowl. Absolutely, always do.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right, Robert, where do we send our listeners to go to find more about your music, listen to your music, where you're playing?
0: Check us out at Bandcamp and check us out at YouTube, Robert Conley Far. Can't miss it. Um we're everywhere else, though, so Spotify and all that kind of stuff, but uh check us out in those two locations, Bandcamp and YouTube.
2: And you have you have a webpage as well, correct?
0: Yeah, I don't keep it updated that much, but it's just robertconleyfar.com.
2: Okay. Very good. Hey, well, it was great having you on. Over to you, Brian. Thank well, thank you, so mu-
1: you. Thank you so much to Robert Connolly Farr for joining us, man. It's been a pleasure. I'm always fascinated uh, hearing about that music, uh, North Mississippi Hill country music. And uh, just thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be on the show, fellas. Thank you to Robert Connolly Farr for joining us, being our guest. What a pleasure. Uh, we certainly enjoyed listening to Robert talk about, you know, you uh, know, getting taken under the wing of Jimmy Duck Holmes there at the Blues Front Cafe. Uh, I can't imagine how thrilling that must be. And that's definitely a destination that that we are going to have to don the doors of. Um, you could tell how incredibly grateful Robert was to have had that experience and to, you know, learn under such an amazing, amazing guitar player in this style of music. Great to hear about the old greats too, you know, R.L. Burnside, Junior Kimbrough, uh, great to hear a little bit about, um, you know, we mentioned talk a little bit about Luther Dickinson and the North Mississippi all-stars. So that's always, always cool to hear about that. And, uh, just, uh, what a, what a great pleasure to talk to another guitar player in this style of music, the North Mississippi Hill country blues. Um, we definitely plan on having some more, uh, folks from that style of music. Uh, we, Certainly hope to talk to Jimmy Duck Holmes at some point. So until that happens, always remember, Southern Rock is reverent, blues is blood. We'll see you next
4: time. (laughs)